Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. If this is your first time, we want to give a special welcome to you and say thanks for checking us out. And we certainly hope it's not the last time. And if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you. And, and we're grateful that we can gather here together today. Last week was a crazy week. I think we all survived the snowstorm last week. Landon, as he made his way in, took a little bit to get the church ready uh, on Sunday morning for those that gathered here in our space, but grateful for all that showed up. And as we come together this morning, we also want to remind you that our friends that love in the name of Christ have uh, relogoed themselves. And so I want to share this short video here of just all that they're about, just to help better explain the mission that they've got here in Mansfield. And we are in partnership with them for what we call our pots and pans ministry and are grateful that we can offer that service together for the kingdom. There's nothing more powerful than churches working together to serve their neighbors, regardless of denomination, worship style, or doctrinal differences. Because together, as Christians, we make up the body of Christ. And when we come together to help our community, we can create life-changing support for those in need, showing our neighbors what love in the name of Christ really feels like. And that's truly transformational. If you're ready to join a bigger vision in your community, visit loveinc.org to find out more or contact your local Love Inc. to get connected in your community. So again, we're grateful for our friends at Love in the Name of Christ, and they now have a new location downtown and are working slowly, uh, crawling before they walk and run uh, to make a difference in our community. They're open on Thursday and Friday mornings, and you can check them out online here through a link that's in the worship notes. As we gather this morning, we also know that tomorrow is Valentine's Day. And so uh, as we lean into what Valentine's Day means, I mean, it's a hallmark holiday, right? Chocolate and uh, candy and all that. Uh, but at the same time, it's this time of year that we're reminded that love is something that the world so desperately needs right now. And we're told that when God lives in us, that his love is made complete in us. And what that does is it drives out fear and darkness. I wanna share a video here that will celebrate the love of God. And I hope will encourage you to let your language be love uh, because God is love. Hey love, where have you been lately? I've been looking for you. I know you haven't disappeared off the earth, but it sure feels like you've gone on vacation for a while. I mean, across the street, I see strife and sadness and a marriage falling apart. Down that alleyway, he's hungry and cold and lonely. And don't you see her in her car crying at the stoplight? Love, listen to me. I believe in you. I really do. We have a whole holiday dedicated to you cards, candy, the whole bit. I guess I'm just a little disappointed, that's all. You seem to have gotten lost inside a world that feels so desperate for you. I must find you again, because you light up all the rooms. You bind us together and cover a multitude of sins. God tells us that when he lives in us, his love is made complete in us burning like a blazing fire and driving out fear and darkness. We know this because when we were the farthest off course and refusing to listen to his voice and cloaked in the darkest of dark, Christ still died for us. So I'm choosing to love God with all my soul, mind, and strength 
I'm crossing that street to my neighbor's house and bringing blankets to the alleyways and praying for those I don't even know. My language will be love because God is love. And so it is because of God's love for us that we gather and worship, whether online or in person. For six weeks now, we've been looking at the future, about the return of Jesus Christ, and we've learned a lot together. In fact, it's probably been a fire hose. And we know that Jesus told us that he's going to return soon, and he's also told us much about what it's going to be like. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to do two things as we wrap up. First, I want to walk you through a recap real quickly of where we've been so that you can get the whole picture of it together. And then what I want to do is walk you through the final state of mankind, what the Bible calls the new creation or the new heavens and the new earth. So click on the worship notes here and open it up. Or if you've got your Bible closed, take and get out a pen and, and turn to Revelation chapter 21. It's the next to the last chapter in the Bible. And we're going to lean into unpacking this together. And again, let's pray the prayer that we've used each week. Lord Jesus, speak to me. Amen. So first, what I want to do is give you 11 points here of where we've been and what we've seen. Uh, the first is this, that the story of the Bible begins in the paradise of the garden, right? In Genesis chapter 1 and 22. And we see here how the Bible is in perfect symmetry because we begin in the garden and we're going to end in the garden. That's the second point here, is that our story will be fulfilled in the paradise of a city, and it's called the New Jerusalem. Our friend the Apostle John writes here, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. That's Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. In the first week of our series, we learned, and this is our third point, that the nation of Israel is central to God's plan for building his community and that we know that the founder of this nation is Abraham. And it's in Genesis chapter 12 that God promised Abraham that all the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed through you. And we also learned in the first week that this fourth point, that most of the prophecies about Israel have, almost all, have been fulfilled. A couple of things to point out. One, that Israel has blessed the world by giving us uh, the Savior, giving us Jesus Christ, and also giving us God's word, the Bible. And then after an 1,800-year absence, Israel is back in their own land. And for the first time in 1,900 years, Israel has their own temple mount. And after 1,950 years, Jerusalem is once again recognized as the capital of the nation. And then in our second week, we learned that the signs in the skies have been fulfilled, that they signal the beginning of what's called the tribulation. Along the way, we learned about this, uh, what's called Ezekiel's War, and that comes to us out of uh, the, the book of, in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. And it's likely to be the final prophecy that needs to be fulfilled before the tribulation begins. Uh, and we know that it could be fulfilled any day with just all the instability that exists there in the Middle East with Syria and the role that Russia and Turkey and Iran are playing even currently. And it could all collapse in a moment. And if that happens, I think Ezekiel's war could actually happen the next day. And so in week three, we learned that this fifth point, that Jesus' coming back is likely to happen at the end of the tribulation. And we saw that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And then in week four, we learned that 
The tribulation is a seven-year period that will begin with the signing of a covenant, and it will culminate in the battle of what's called Armageddon. And we see that in Daniel chapter 9, 27, and in Revelation chapter 16, verse 16. We've learned so much as we've talked about this phase of the Earth's history that we're actually able to lay out a timeline. In week four, we looked briefly at what was the rising of what's called the unholy trinity and about the breaking of the covenant and the sealing of the saints and the persecution of the saints. And then in week five last week, we learned that at the end of that time, point seven here, Jesus will return and establish a thousand year reign on the earth. Revelation 19 verse 11 in chapter 20 verses four and five. And this time period is called the millennium. And it's at this moment of his return that the saints will rise from the dead those saints who are alive and remain will join them in the sky and all of us will be instantly given transformed bodies like Jesus' resurrected body and will reign with Christ during those thousand years. We learned that in those final days of the millennium that Satan will be released and that he's going to lead a rebellion and that he will be defeated with a word from Jesus' mouth and he will finally be permanently cast into the lake of fire. And then without going into all the other detail, last week we also learned that the great white throne judgment will separate the sheep from the goats. That's Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 17. And then we saw briefly the following this judgment will be a personal encounter for each of us with Jesus Christ at what is called the Bema Seat Judgment. Point nine here, at the Bema Seat Judgment, saints will receive their everlasting rewards for our service to Jesus Christ. That comes to us out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We've learned a lot together over these last few weeks. I mean, a lot, right? And if you've been here through the whole series, you now know more than most seminary students do about what's coming at the end of time. And again, if you've missed any of that, we'd invite you to click on the sermon archives and you can go back and listen to it. So today I want to sort of wrap it all up and I want to give you the final picture as we've learned, some of what is coming isn't very good. Uh, it isn't very nice. But the final thing is, that is coming is beyond words, and it's the fulfillment of the longing of our hearts. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, that the place we are longing for is better by far. Or the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 16, calls it a better country. Now, how will we get to this better country? I guess that's the question, right? Well, it's interesting. Revelation 21 verse 1 says, we're not going to get to it. It's actually going to get to us. The Apostle John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. That's verses 1 and 2 of chapter 21 of Revelation. So the final act that God brings on the stage is a creation of a new creation. And it all starts with heat and ends with a home. So here's our 10th point. The cosmos will melt and be replaced by a new heaven and a new earth. It comes to us out of 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, and also Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. The writer says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, The heavens will be dissolved by fire, and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. This new creation is God's ultimate design and ultimate desire for each of us. And it's our ultimate destination. It's the place we were actually made for. The place that we're longing for. The place where we will spend eternity. 
Now, here's the 11th point, and we're going to unpack from here, is that the new creation has a new heaven and a new earth and a new city, and it's called the New Jerusalem. Now, I want you to see something here. It's, it's not that things are going to be wiped out, but he's actually making things new. And this is what we've been waiting for. And it, actually, it's not what we've just been waiting for, but we're told it's actually what we're groaning for. The Apostle Paul says here in Romans chapter 8, verse 22, the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves. These last couple years especially, I think many of us have just wished for a better world. Given the pandemic and then given the economic issues and the racial issues and the political issues, we're just all like, give us something new, right? Give us a better world. Now, it's interesting that the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that God has set eternity in our hearts. And eternity is coming. We know that. And it will be more than you can ask or even possibly imagine. So quickly here, I want to just lean into, and I would encourage you to come back and look at it when you have some time yourself, about what this incredible future looks to. It's described in a lot of places in the Bible, but the most detail we get is from here in Revelation chapter 21. So I want to walk you through this chapter because it's going to tell us about heaven, and then I'm going to add some thoughts along the way. And I hope that if you've got your Bible there or you've got the worship notes open, that you'll jot down a few of these as maybe the Lord might even show you some things to be reminded of and to remember about what our future looks like. So imagine this in your mind. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. We've said before that the sea, we know, is a place of danger in the ancient world. And for the Jews, the sea was the place out of which the Gentiles came to attack them. And in a perfect new world, there's not going to be any sea. God's going to drain the salt out of it and the danger out of it. And if you've ever camped beside a lake, it'll be like that, but only bigger. He goes on to say in verse 3, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. You see, in this new creation, we won't be his people. We will be his peoples. Heaven will be made up of people from every walk and tribe, every ethnicity. We're going to be really diverse. We're going to be united. It'll be like our church strives to be every day, right? Heaven will be made up of cultures of every nation, tribe, and language. And then in verse 4, he goes on to say, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. You see, we're all going to be healed. Each of us will have a session with the Lord where he will hear our pain, and he's going to wipe it all away. All the evil, all the disappointment, all our sorrows, they're going to pass away forever. He goes on to say in verse 5, Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. How much is he making? Everything. And to be reminded, he's not making new things. He's making what was new. He also said, Write because these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, It is done. Now we know he said that one other time, right? He said it on the cross. He said, It is finished. That the full payment for sin was done. And at the coming of the new creation, everything that's been affected by sin will be done and be done away with. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega and the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. 
The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share shall be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That's Revelation 21, verses 5 through 8. Now, nothing wicked or harmful or false is going to enter into heaven. Everyone there will be his sons and daughters, completely washed clean, because we've asked forgiveness and are now fully bathed in his righteousness. Goes on to say, Then one of the seven angels who had held the seven bulls filled with the seven last plagues came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the bride and the wife of the lamb. That's us. We're the church. We're the bride. Jesus is the lamb. Next time you're at a wedding, when they play, here comes the bride, you just need to ponder for a moment and think, that's us. That's you. That's me. I'm going to be part of the bride of Christ. And then verse 10, he then carried me away in the spirit of a, to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God. And this is why I say we won't come to the new creation, that the new creation is actually going to come to us. You see, this new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven and become our eternal home. And then the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven, verse 11, arrayed with God's glory. Her radiance was like a precious jewel, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. The city had a massive high wall with 12 gates. Twelve angels were at the gates. The names of the 12 tribes of Israel's sons were inscribed on the gates. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. City wall had 12 foundations, and the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb were on the foundations. You see here the number 12 a number of times, right? You see, 12 is the number of completion, and so nothing's going to be incomplete here. There's going to be 12 gates, and there were 12 tribes of Israel, which represented by the 12 gates, and there were 12 apostles that represent the church, and they're all represented by the 12 foundations of the city. And then he goes into even a few more 12s here in verse 15. The one who spoke with me had a golden measuring rod to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city is laid out in a square, its length and width are the same. He measured the city with the rod at 12,000 stadia. Its length, width, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to human measurement, which the angel used. Now, 12,000 stadia is about 1,400 miles. And Jerusalem will either be a perfect cube, 1,400 miles long, wide, and high, or a perfect four-sided pyramid with each side 1,400 miles in length. Uh, the city's building materials are so perfect, we have trouble even imagining them. So John gives us some really deep details here, beginning with verse 18 of chapter 21 through the end of the chapter about what this heavenly city is going to look like. So let me tell you some things about the new earth. The, the hub of the new earth was going to be the new Jerusalem. That's 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. The new Jerusalem is going to cover a territory as large as the distance from Canada to Mexico and from the Appalachian Mountains to the eastern border of California. The city is nearly 2 million square miles at its base, which is 40 times the size of England and 10 times as large as France, and that's just ground level. This much we know, if you work that out, there's a lot of land here. There's a lot of room for people to live in. It's not going to be very dense. We're not going to be crowded. Uh, we'll also be living near each other. One of the greatest wonders of the heavenly city is this river of life. It says it's clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God. You see, Jesus, the Lamb, occupies the throne, and the river flows down the center of the great street. Water is essential to human life, we know. And so Jerusalem is the center of human life. 
If you've ever been to San Antonio, it's famous for its river walk. This New Jerusalem is going to be famous for its river of life walk. And he goes on to tell us that the water is going to flow downward from the throne, which means God's throne will occupy the highest ground in the city. Anyone wanting to visit God's throne need only follow the river upstream. And then this tree of life, it's another stunning feature of the city. The tree stands on each side of the river. This is the tree that was in the Garden of Eden back in Genesis. But God removed it so that the fallen humans could not eat of it and live forever in their sin-bound state. It's been in existence since creation, and it bears, according to Scripture here, fruit every month. It's a source of food and a source of healing. He says the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Now, every person has wounds, right? And we know that every nation has wounds. And yet, they're all going to be healed at the tree. And we will be reconciled to one another by means of what this tree does, just like we were justified by that tree that became Jesus Christ's cross. Now, the tree of life is a single tree. Now, the tree of life is a single tree, and it's with shoots underground that send up shoots all over the city. If you know anything about aspen trees, they're like this. You can see why a whole mountain can be covered by one tree whose roots go everywhere, which explains why all the leaves on the entire mountain turn brown at the same time. Now, the country, Jesus tells us in Luke, and also we hear in Hebrews, it assures us that there's going to be countryside as well as city streets and buildings. The new earth is going to have a huge outdoors. Then there's the mountains. Revelation 21.10 describes a mountain great and high. Not the mountain, but a mountain, which means there's probably more than one on this new earth. And there will be soaring peaks to appreciate and maybe even climb. Can you imagine the slopes and the lakes and the waterfalls and the meadows these mountains will provide? It's going to be an amazing opportunity to go out and just hang out, right? Walk the creation. Now, what about housing? Well, if you've dreamed of a new home, you can be encouraged because on his final night before the crucifixion, Jesus told the disciples, my father's house has many rooms, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. That's John chapter 14, verse 2. Now, we're not quite sure how your digs are going to be laid out, and it may not be attached to other people's homes. We don't really know what this places are going to really look like, whether it's a cube or a pyramid, but this much we know, the Lord is creating perfect spaces for each of us based on who we are. Since that's the case, I believe I'll be overlooking water on one side, mountains on another, with maybe grass and trees and my family nearby, uh, and maybe even a good mountain bike trail or a, a, a nice road to ride. But the good news is that God knows us better than we know ourselves, and so when you see your new home, it will be more perfectly suited to you than you can imagine. So let's talk about time. For a long time, I thought that heaven was somehow outside of time. But in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 23, it says that mankind will come and bow down before God from one Sabbath to another. Or in Revelation chapter 22, verse 2, it says that the tree of life bears fruit every month. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, it says that God will show us the incomparable riches of his grace throughout the coming ages. So we get this idea from Scripture that there's going to be weeks and months and even ages in heaven. So clearly we're going to be living inside of time, which means that heaven will have things to work towards maybe, or events to spur us on to even greater things that we need to do, meaningful activities that we get to look forward to. Well, what about eating foods, you know? Well, it's interesting in Luke chapter 22, verse 29, Jesus tells his disciples, I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Or again, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, he says to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. So the cool thing is, is without any kind of bugs or pestilence and 
and maybe the best kind of weather patterns. Imagine the fruits and the vegetables that the land's going to produce. In heaven, the ground's going to be full of rich nutrients and minerals, and we'll have more flavorful foods to appreciate with our more accurate taste buds. And then we get to talk about the wedding supper of the lamb, which is going to be a huge feast. And I'm not sure if calories are going to disappear, but our resurrected bodies will come with enhanced metabolism and maybe even some sanctified self-restraint. And then what about animals? If you're an animal lover, Isaiah tells us that the wolf will lay down with the lamb. And so there will be wolves and lambs there and every other kind of animal too. Yes, cats and dogs. And to be clear, what about angels? Well, if you've dreamed of becoming an angel, just as I've said before, you won't. You see, humans don't become angels when we get to heaven. In fact, yeah, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, that we will judge the angels. And then what about the idea of marriage? Well, if you wondered about marriage in heaven, it says in Matthew chapter 22, 30, Jesus said that the resurrection people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Instead of being married to another person, we will all be married to the lamb. We will be the bride. He will be the bridegroom. The purpose of marriage on earth is to prepare us for a close relationship with God one day. Nothing's going to take away from the rich relationships you have had with your spouse or family members here on earth. All the tarnish of sin will be washed away there. The perfect marriage you've always longed for will be had in your relationship with Jesus Christ. As a result of that relationship, all other relationships will be better than they are today. What about knowledge? What are we going to know? Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. In heaven we see these things more clearly and know much more than we do now. Yet only God is omniscient. We will never know everything. A little Greek for you here this morning. When the verse says, I know in part, it uses the, this word, gnosko, which means to know. And it's in the sense of learning something. In heaven, we're going to be learning fully. Uh, when it says, then I shall know fully, it uses the word epigonosko, which means to know extensively. We can gnosko, but only God can epigonosko. We will continue to learn each day forever. So what about work? Well, we have work in heaven. Well, work is a good thing. The only bad work is work we don't like. Work can give a sense of Work can give us a sense of purpose, accomplishment, and even worth. Jesus said, my father is always at work to this very day. He said that in John chapter 5, verse 17. We know that Adam worked the garden, and we will work in the new creation. In heaven, you will be given significant assignments for meaningful tasks that keep you growing and enhance the lives of others. These assignments will be doled out based on your performance in the present life. Well, what about rewards? Well, as we talked about a little bit last week, there's this idea of what's called the Bema Seat. Every service rendered to Jesus Christ will result in rewards in heaven. There are five different crowns available to those who serve Christ faithfully. There are even some other rewards so unusual, we don't fully understand them. Revelation chapter 2 mentions this idea of hidden manna, whatever that is, and a white stone and a new name. Now, Luke chapter 16, verse 9 tells us to use our worldly wealth to win friends who will welcome us into eternal dwellings. So one great reward in heaven will be the friends you made as a result of sharing Jesus Christ and by serving in the church. Revelation 3.21 mentions a reward I'd like to experience at least once. It says that if I remain faithful, I could be given the right to sit with Jesus on his throne. Can you imagine sitting right next to Jesus while the multitude of humanity and angels worship him with all their might? This is going to be more awesome 
than standing center stage at a rock concert or maybe even on the 50-yard line of today's Super Bowl. This is just a small sampling of heaven, and yet there's so much more. So let's wrap this up. The Apostle Peter's final word in the book of 2 Peter are, Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. Because you see, heaven is real, and it is in our future. There's a story told of an elderly Englishman whose name is H.S. Laird. And when he was on his deathbed, his son asked him, Dad, how are you feeling? And he answered, Son, I feel like a little boy on Christmas Eve. You see, that's the way God wants us to anticipate this new creation. It's a Christmas day stocked with eternal presence. Life on planet Earth can contain some amazing moments. Once it's done, for those who have trusted Jesus Christ, life only gets better. Heaven is a place of unspeakable joy and a place with eternal rewards. There's a story, too, told of a college student named Jim Elliott, who once wrote in his journal, He is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. It's amazing because if you know that name, Jim Elliott, it was just several years later that he was a missionary that was sent to a Stone Age tribe in South America, and he was killed by the spear of one of the tribesmen he came to share the gospel of Jesus with. Can you imagine the rewards Jim will experience forever as a result of his faithful service? And so that's my prayer, and that's why we've done this series on the return of the King, of looking at what does it mean to see Jesus return. I want you to experience every reward that's possible for you in this new creation. And to accomplish that, serve Jesus Christ diligently, friends. Serve him faithful, serve him joyfully, and serve him with anticipation. Because what's coming is so much better than anything that has ever been before. Can you say amen? Amen. During his famous Last Supper, Jesus told his disciples, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. John chapter 14, verse 2. So that place is heaven. It's the new creation. His promise to you is that if you will ask his forgiveness for your sins, and invite him into your life as Savior, he will prepare a place for you in heaven as well. As we close, I want you to hear these words from Second Peter again. Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. As you make every effort to live spotlessly, God will lead you in God. As you make every effort to live spotlessly, God will lead you and guide you and provide you. As you make every effort to live spotlessly, God promises that he will lead you and he will guide you and he And as you make every effort to live spotlessly, God will make And as you make every effort to live spotlessly, God promises that he will lead you and that he will guide you and that he will provide for you. We know this to be true. He is with us. He is with you. And he will never leave you, nor forsake you. And that's our hope. Let's pray. God, thank you. Let's pray. God, thank you for these truths. Thank you for all that you've promised us. And we just pray that we can be people who live into that. Thanks for giving us these words to encourage us, even in times of uncertainty. And for all these things, Jesus, we just thank you for your life and for your death and your resurrection and for all that you are as king. And we just pray it in your strong name. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. <laughs>